Uh, Rusty here, live on the pod. Danny Newcomb in the house. How are you doing, mate? You all right? Good afternoon, Rusty. Yeah, I'm all good. Thanks, mate. Good. I'm excited that you've uh, forced me to wear a cap. <laughs> that was on your rider, wasn't it? Yeah, you're too old to wear one, mate. <laughs> How... Uh, uh, do you want to, yeah, mate, I, I'm excited for this. It's uh, actually the other day when I thought, oh, I need to ask Danny to come on. I thought, why have I, why have I never asked him? Um, so do you want to uh, explain why you, why you think you're on? Oh, good question. Why do I think? Um, someone else who's doing lots of coaching and coach development and throwing ideas around and trying new stuff, I think. Yeah, definitely that. So. Yeah, now working across lots of sports, um, <clears throat> I'm definitely curious as to your insights there. Uh, probably, yeah, I mean, look, I think you're, you're killing it in terms of the practice design stuff. Uh, you've run one of the best uh, roller hockey leagues in the world. Yeah, um, yeah. And so I would, so I'm writing those things down, roller hockey, uh, practice design, cross sport. So there's our, that's our lesson plan. Um, which one do you want to start with? Oh, let's go with rollerball. As I'm, I'm... Let's go rollerball, mate. So, do you want to tell people why rollerball and what's going on? Yeah, so as the CEO of Rollerball International, <laughs> um, I take it way more seriously than, the, than, the, than our students. Um, so, we've got a third year module at work um, called Advanced Coaching Practice. Um, and we were just thinking of ways of making something more real. Um, so we've done practice design, done theory. Um, they're really good at designing practices and, and, and coaching within them and obviously still lots to improve on, but they've got that. And we got to the third year and we're like, we don't want to do that again. We want to do something different. And they're paying 9,000 a year. Yeah, yeah. It's a bargain. Um, <laughs> um, and so we decided to, the one thing they don't do a lot of is running teams, managing groups, um, coming up with game plans, tactical game plans, scouting, briefing, um, dealing with difficult people, dealing with disengaged people. So all the kind of real stuff that, that you have to deal with. Um, so we created a fake game and a fake league um, and a draft and a set of rules. And they, we just actually introduced them to it yesterday. Did you? Yeah, the third, the third years, yeah. We even had, Coloured headbands. It's going. Up, it's going up a notch. Um, so they put. They've been put into their franchises. Uh, next week's preseason, so they get two preseason games, um, and they get a workshop week, and they get. A, they've got a meeting room they can use, and it really it's just a six-a-side, um, small-sided game where there's a size two football, and they have to roll it on the floor, and it's got a three-second rule, and you score by rolling it to one of your mates in the end zone. Um, <laughs> There's timeouts, there's walkouts, there's music. Um, yeah, and then there's three game weeks, and in between the weeks, there's training and, and debriefs and, and, and all sorts. So, yeah, it's, it's a mess. We deliberately throw stuff at them halfway through. So, um, uh, uh, so they won't listen to this, they'll be right. Um, halfway through, they'll, um, <laughs> um, they'll have to pick someone from another franchise that they want to trade. Um, and, and stuff like that. So we'll, we'll mess around them a bit and, and throw them some curveballs before games. We'll just tell them that two of them are injured and, and um, et cetera, et cetera. So all the, all the coaches not arrived. So they have to, they have to kind of think on their feet. So yeah, it's, it's a really interesting. The first time we, we tried it, we're like, this might be the worst idea we've ever had, but let's go with it anyway. Um, and we had no idea what was going to happen. 
and, and weirdly, the more chaos, the more they learn, um, the more, more things that go wrong, the more tension, the more arguments, the, the kind of the more they learn about themselves and how they manage people. Cool, and uh, and you're making me smile just thinking about it, which is cool. And uh, you do have a job. You work. This is at Oxenbrook. So just to clarify, this isn't like in your living room. Um, I definitely had some, some quite, actually one of the things you said the other day when we were chatting because I was talking about using currency. You would talk about there's some coach development modules they can take, and if they do, they then earn credits for their rollerball team. Yeah, so they um, credits in play, and, and they can earn credits, and then they can buy extra CPD workshops, they can buy extra timeouts, game extensions, um, they can buy trades. Um, so as they go through it, the more they in and engage, the, the better, really. Cool. And so, I mean, you're basically gamifying lots of their learning, if I'm honest. Um, what uh, And how have you adapted the course? So what year are you in now? Was last year year one? So uh, for these guys? Of, of, of just No, just generally of, of running the... How long has Rollerball been going for? It's third season, yeah. Third okay. season. So have you adapted it? What have you learned? Um, and, and just to give it some context, I speak to lots of people who work in areas such as S&C, analysis, um, team management, and all of this stuff is the stuff they didn't do in their degree. So what's, the, what's your biggest problem? What's your biggest challenge at the moment? It's influencing people. It's working as part of a team. It's it's actually some stuff's gone wrong and we're, we're, we haven't thought about how we emotionally control it. It's all that stuff that you guys are, I guess, dynamically living. So how, how's the course adapted from year one? We started off and we had, because we didn't know how it was going to go, we had zero structure. Um, so we had the game weeks in and we kind of just like, we left them right in the deep end. And to be fair, it got, it got some, it's fascinating to see how different groups operate and just and the culture within those different subgroups it's, it's such an interesting thing just to watch happen in front of you but we, we kind of the one thing we're constantly as a staff team looking is how much rope do we give them how much structure do we give them how much scaffolding and support and how much do we let them drown so it's just like coaching yeah it's because they what they can't do is they can't run a meeting they can't do a debrief they can't create a game plan um it's weird because there's no hierarchical structure because, you know, it's like a really bad version of The Apprentice meets manager on the computer, so, you know, so it's fascinating to watch. So we have to give them a little bit of support with organisational structure, with things they might need to be able to do, but without giving them too much help so they drown a bit as well. And when you mean give them some support and scaffold them, give, how are you doing that from a, from a, perspective for example teams well, what do you mean by team structure so you mean there's you're going to allocate some functions within the team or they're going to have some options of how their team runs or or yeah. both or yeah and whether they have a flat flat structure where they rotate roles what roles are needed making sure they've got clear roles and responsibilities who's chairing the meeting what are the actions you know all, all those types of things you just take for granted that you go and actually when you think about it there are lots of people that don't run meetings particularly effectively um, you know, they walk out of an hour meeting and go, right, what are you doing for the next one? They're like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> so, you know, all those types of things. Um, and actually, there's a lot. Of, so one of the first tasks we do is sort of a person development task, and they do a bit of a analysis of where they are in terms of leadership, giving them, receiving feedback, um, their interaction stuff. So they kind of grade themselves against those. And we're going to get them to do those at the end as well. 
and we're going to get some of their other teammates to do a bit of 360 on them. So there's like a personal development thing that's running alongside it um, as well. Um, and then for their essays, they have to write uh, a narrative. So they have to write stories from Rollable um, in whatever format they want. And then they have to unpick those stories using theory and making sense of them. So you might take a micro-political lens of how I managed difficult people within the group and, and what theories help me explain that and, and help me understand why I maybe shouldn't have said that there or then or when, why that really worked, why, why, why my best mate being in the group was actually the worst thing ever um, and all those types of things that, that they have to explore and, and work out. And what's uh, and what's been the reflections of the and what's been the feedback really? Because I guess you know, year one, some of those people would have jobs now, maybe. Or what um, do, you, do you get? Do you ever get feedback? Do people ever touch base with you and go, "Ah, oh, we're using the rollerball stuff." Yeah, I mean, we, we the, the, the ones who leave, the initial reaction is quite emotional. Sort of like, "What is this? What are we doing?" Was that today? Yeah, that was yesterday. What is Danny <laughs> come from this time? Um, so. Yeah, I mean, we even got sort of we just put a tweet out yesterday from our Brooks Sport and Coaching Sciences, and you know, one of our third years who's now a teacher highlighted my third year. I loved it when I was there, you know. So we were getting some nice. Can't wait to roll them all at the Olympics. Was the next one? Yeah, that, I just wrote that down. I'm assuming you are currently campaigning for rollerball to be in 2028. Is it as a demonstration sport? Yeah, pretty realistic, I think, for 2028. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so yeah, it's it's. Cool. I think the initial reaction is, "What are we doing?" Um, I think it's one of those ones afterwards they realise how much how much they get out of it. It's just different because they're not turning up to lectures and then delivered content or taken through content, if you like, in a workshop fashion. Or what they've done for two years is sort of coach, unpick their coaching, add some theory, coach again, unpick their coaching, which is kind of the model we use. This is just out there. Is uh, is one of the roles in the team is to have a coach developer in the team? Um, no. Actually, should be. It should be. Hold on, where's my notepad? Um, <laughs> I was just thinking, well, there's two things I was thinking. One was a, a coach developer, but also a, maybe, and clearly if they, if they leave, it's harder, but to, to use some, one with some skills to have developmentoring skills as well through the course, which I'm sure you do anyway, but um, right, I love it. It's, yeah, it's cool. Um, you have to come down for one of the, one of the, one of the game weeks. Right, I'm in. It's actually, I'm, I'm putting the big asterisk next to it. I would have definitely got the more lectures if they looked like that. Yeah. <laughs> and what? Uh, and look, and so that's probably your, your your academic side, and we'll delve into that a bit later. You're 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 fulfilling a few coaching roles, so you do. Every hockey coach has at least two jobs. So you you got. I know you've got Reading Hockey Club. I know you're doing the the Welsh team. Any more? Any others than that? That's it at the minute. So I do assistant to the senior men in Wales, um, lead the 21s and 23s, and then um, uh, head coach at Reading this year. Nice. Um, just the three now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what? Uh, and what? Do you, what's the stuff that you're learning? What's the things you're even a man of your brain size? What are you at the moment really mindful of, and you know, is is impacting upon your coaching? Great question. Um, just the change from, so I've been an assistant coach for eight eight seasons with Wales. Um, yeah. That kind of role really suits me. Um, and me and Zach have got a really nice balance. To the, this is the headwear of an assistant coach, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Uh, me, and, me and Zed have got a brilliant balance to, to it. And 
I don't like the, the word assistant sounds wrong. It shouldn't be. Um, I think there's a particular skill set that an assistant is different to developing before a head coach has. And what do you think? What, what have you noticed that's different? I think... Uh, it don't kind of, I have been thinking about this a lot, actually, in terms of how close, how matey, um, you know. And it all depends on balance, because the head coach is actually really, really chilled and relaxed maybe the assistant's got to be a bit harder and then you know so trying to find that balance of, of, of it and then I always sort of thought when I became a head coach do I need to change how I am and who I am and how I operate or do I carry on being, being you know quite chilled and relaxed and um, does that mean then having tough conversations is more difficult um, you know I don't, I'm just finding my way through through those things at the minute yeah even uh, even the job title create some stuff so I'll give you a good example so with England 20s they do uh, coaches come in from the clubs and they work together throughout a season and uh, but they would do some job rotation and they would call it you know your head coach this week your assistant next but I watched one assistant coach who was very probably like I imagine you were referencing there close with the players down on the ground you know real in there and then the next week he was told he was head coach and he was walking around with his, his hands behind his back and, you know, really a bit more distant. And, and it was the same person just fulfilling a different role. And, and clearly it's coaching teams. It's, it's making sure that, yeah, you work together well as coaches and you complement each other and you, you bring stuff that other people maybe don't have as much of. Yeah, and that takes a bit of time to find that rhythm. Um, and, and weirdly, I've obviously... Um, Jason Lee, who was head coach at Reading last year, is now is still there. You know, he, he's the guru. Um, <laughs> so, you know, he's he's off of multiple Olympic cycles. You know, he's an incredible operator, and you know, it it it's, we're just finding like that balance between him and I. He's definitely yeah. not my coach or our assistant coach. I mean, he might have gotten a few Olympics, but has he played rollerball? Has he? he got... Well, actually, no. Um, so. He hasn't, he hasn't invented a, a new game. Um, but so yeah, having him there to, to, to work with is just, it's almost like the perfect storm for me in terms of leading a program, running a program, but having someone who's involved that's, you know, that experienced and, and, and can ask questions and, and can push me and, and that's what that's me really. So yeah, that's, I've got a really nice, nice position at the moment. Yeah, and I, th- I think that's true. I mean, if you're a hockey coach in multiple environments, you're, you're picking up lots of different things, you know, and clearly it might be hard to make sense of all of it, but there'd be lots of stuff going on versus if you're constantly in one environment and don't get to step out. Um, so you're doing a bit of coach development. So go on, what are you going to say something? I will say just the it's way easier being an assistant. <laughs> I much prefer being an assistant. Um, like emotionally stress it is way easier because it's, it's a lot easier to make suggestions and have, you know Zach and I you know I'm massive input but ultimately it's his name at the top of the door you know you know so it's the pressure that that comes with and there's no wonder people act differently you know all of a sudden yeah I did a podcast with Clarkie who was who's coaching New Zealand sevens and and he and we discussed this and he said it's the difference between having an opinion and making a decision yeah, and, and one's easy and one's way harder. Yeah, true story, true story. Um, and so now you're doing stuff with other sports, so um, how's that been? What are, you, what are you learning from that? Clearly, uh, most of your experiences would lie in hockey. Um, yeah, most of my experiences lie in hockey, and um, lucky enough to work as part of a cool group of people, probably 
five, six years ago in hockey, so Scott McNeil and, and Stu Guys, um, who were look, really looking to make changes to, to, to coaching in hockey um, and managed to basically tag onto those guys for a few years, doing some tutoring. Um, having, your assistance to them. Having some input and, and it was great. Um, since I actually don't do that much with hockey anymore. I do quite a bit at Reading, but I'm now doing a bit for the LTA, a bit for the ECB, um, which is mainly um, practice design and, and learning design and, and, and understanding how people develop skill and, and, and those types of things and how we design environments, which is cool. Um, and, and that's stuff I love. And then doing a bit of work with the Premier League now as well, which is um, some of their e-hoc. So each club has a head of coaching. So doing a bit of delivery on there and then doing some mentoring, which is definitely a new skill set for, for for me to learn and develop the sort of individual people. What, what are you learning? What have you noticed about mentoring, whatever it is? Yeah, I like, well, very, as you probably know, I'm very comfortable stood at the front of the room with lots of people in the room running a workshop running a session um yeah coming from kind of university background and then doing loads of coach development running workshops that's that's pretty cool um mentoring is like a whole new world <laughs> how much to to listen how much to ask questions how, you know you know just getting to know people and working out that mentoring relationship is is it's, in, it's just an interesting space to explore for me. And then you go and meet these sort of professional mentors and you go, wow, they ask great questions. And yeah, that's cool. Whereas I tend to still jump the gun on stuff and get excited and, and forget rather than, I almost think it's a coaching chat rather than a mentoring chat sometimes. But. Yeah. Well, why would you think the difference is? More, more calculated in terms of what questions you ask when you intervene, what you leave alone. Um, those types of things. Um, Killer questions. Yeah, the, it's interesting, isn't it? Because the well, the, some of the Premier League stuff actually, you, you have a small amount of time, and and you referenced it. Lots of these interactions are based around trust and relationships, and <clears throat> some of them are two and a half days a year. And, and the other thing that actually that um, we was chatting about the other day is, and let's imagine you're a thirty-year-old ex-footballer, hockey player, rugby player. Um, and you've played that sport all your life, actually, you're then just making your debut as a coach. So to go along to a workshop and, and get three, four days of information and then to be able to go and translate that into your world is bloody tough. Um, and you would need people to help you with that. And, you know, in the same way you're taught, you would be scaffolding your students and supporting them. Uh, that's, the, that's the bit where I think, you know, lots of the NGBs could... Now, and clearly it's the coach's responsibility as well, but just better help them make sense of, of that stuff. Yeah, it's differentiating between what's a nice relationship, what's a nice experience, what's a nice learning experience, and genuinely having impact on someone's practice. Yeah. Um, but for the first bit, I'm okay with the second bit. You're like, well, you know, am I really challenging someone or they're making them get to the point where they're challenging themselves, where they actually improve something that they do? on a daily basis so that was I think that's the challenge for coach development you know measuring impact or having impact I think it's pretty much impossible sometimes because you can't measure cause and effect and it's so messy and you know there's loads of I think there's a big space in the research coming moving forward on coach development and how it's done and what it looks like and what coach learning is um yeah it's quite, I think it's we've got a lot to learn 
we, there's a lot of stuff that we do that we just assume is having impact. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did this, therefore this. Yeah, yeah. How, how's your coach development going? Yes, we've done lots of stuff. Yeah. Other than, oh, Rusty's now doing this, this and this, whereas before he was, he was doing that, that and that. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there'd be often be a time lag on lots of this stuff. You would have made sense. I definitely have made sense of stuff recently. I thought, God, someone told me that like 10 years ago. <laughs> and then I discover new stuff. So like the and you know, the old way, new way stuff. I was at a skiing conference the other day, and this guy explained this to me, and I was like, "Wow, that's cool! I've never even thought of that." Um, yeah. yeah, it's um, yeah, it's uh, you're definitely true. I know that. I mean, my fastest mile. I'm trying to look at some of that a bit more. Some of the sense maker stuff as a way of demonstrating and measuring and tending to impact. Messy, I think. Messy. Let's call it messy. And let's talk about your practice design stuff. So, um, I'm, 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 what I noticed about you when you deliver is that you make it really simple. <clears throat> so, and that's a compliment, by the way. Um, <laughs> it's not a slight on your character. Um, I, I, in often a space where it's not that simple because people use long words and they just make it really complicated. So, I'm off uh, on uh, Sunday. I'm going to go and coach. Uh, this is fictional. Marlborough under 14s. Never coached them before. Um, I'm you, sat in the car. What's going through your mind? What are you thinking about? What are you definitely thinking I'm going to need to notice? And I'm, you know, I'm, yeah, what's going on in your brain? If I'm, if I'm you, and I'm going to... You're me. So you've got a slightly smaller brain. You're probably driving a slightly smaller car, Citroen C3 from the airport at the moment. And you're driving to Marlborough to coach a, a, a team. Um, it's your first session with them. What are you thinking? My first process I go through when I'm designing a session is it's going to sound really simple. How long have I got? How yeah. Many have I got? How many have I got? Um, what space have I got? Um, how do I maximise the playing time? within this next 90 minutes for these groups? What do the, what do the work rests look like? What do the group sizes look like? Um, so the, the minimum that's gonna happen when they come out at the end of the session is they've played X amount of rugby for X amount of minutes. Cool, um, 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 you're playing time stuff based upon what? You're thinking, <clears throat> when you're talking about the playing time, that's ball in play, so that'd be ball rolling type stuff. And are you, I mean, clearly well, you're going to talk about the numbers a bit in a second, but you're also taking into account what's gone before and what's coming later as well. I think that will come into the specifics of the practice that you then put in place. It will impact based on who the group are, whether you know anything about them or not, what you know about them, what you know they've got coming up. So, yeah, I think, I think so. But I, I would definitely be, what, what is the ball rolling and time on task stuff, I think. And even yeah. at like, even at Reading on a on a Thursday night with a with a, with a bloke's first team, it's like the time on task stuff, the ball rolling time, the ball in play stuff is probably the most important thing to get right. The majority of my job when I get to the pitch is counting and dividing groups into numbers, working out work rests, working out how many goalies I've got, what pitch sizes I need, and just trying to make the whole thing logistically fit together. Um, so they come off having played enough hockey, I think. Yeah, that's a, that's a pretty decent suggestion. And 
I think there's a one of the hockey courses which I quite like the sound of, but I haven't been to is the coaching club hockey, and it would probably bring to life some of that stuff. You got, you got, you know, you got sixty players and one goalkeeper, and you've got uh, you've got a D, or you've yeah. got you know you got three outfielders and twelve goalies, and you've got a full pitch, but only one goal. Um, yeah. So what are my assets? What are my resources? What am I? Cool. Let's uh, let's see what my recipe looks like. And actually, like I, I sit there and go, sometimes oh, I really want to do this practice, but sometimes you just go, I can't logistically. It just doesn't work tonight. I've been trying yeah. to force this square peg through the round hole, but ultimately it's going to end up with too many people stood out. Like it doesn't, it doesn't work. And and the trade, it's all it's all trade-offs, the decisions you've got to make. But actually, boys playing time. Why do they why do they play hockey? Well, they want to get better and they want to perform Premier League level, but they they love playing hockey. So let them. Let them play, yeah, let them play. Uh, and, and in terms of that as well, and I'm just, I'm, this will probably come up in the next bit, you are thinking uneven teams, underloads, overloads, that's part of that thought process at the moment, or that'll come in later into your planning? That'll come in later. Depending on what my intention is, I think that's the next thing. I, I think. What First of all, we've got logistics out of the way. We're planning our recipe. Then you're going, what's my intention as a coach? Yeah, what, what do I want? And, that, and people confuse this. Your intention might be fun. Yeah. It might be, you know, confidence building. It might be physical. It might, you know, like it doesn't have to be something completely really like minutiae technical. It's it just like, what is the intention of this session? You know, that's a real example. You know, we lost 10-1 in our first league game. So you've got to think like what what is the intention of our Tuesday night session after we lose 10 1? Like, to make doing? them feel bad about losing 10 1, I assume. <laughs> or the, the other way around. <laughs> make them believe they can actually they are actually good enough and they can play hockey. So, you know, it's, it's those things that you've got to factor in first. What yeah. Intent. Um you know, and as it, it could be anything from tackling technique in rugby to you know executing an overload, you know, to, you know, understanding a new system of playing hockey. So whatever it is, well, that's, but the amount of coaches you ask, what's the aim today? And they, they can't, they can't articulate anything further than hockey. Um, probably then, then the decisions you make about your X's and O's and your pitches and your goals, they're all driven by that. So if you haven't got that clear, it steers all the decisions that you make after it. Yeah, and it makes your conversations as a coach developer pretty difficult because you would need to understand that context. And and to what extent are you also, and let's imagine these the under-12s at Marlborough you've now been coaching a few times, to what intent would you have an overarching, you know, intention or intentions, but also then be thinking, there's some definitely some individuals here and they're not all exactly the same, so... To what extent are you thinking about that? And then how does that fit in around your planning? Yeah, so last night, last night was all about um, the certain defence we're facing this weekend is different to the one we faced last weekend. So the way that... Everyone plays man-on-man. Man. What are you talking about? There's a zonal. There's a zonal. No, no. This, the team we are playing is man-to-man and the first two teams we play play zonally. So, um, um, so we need to re- almost reprogram the guys a bit from playing against zones to playing against man to man. They could they could roll out a zone this weekend and I, 
and, and been bluffing for two games, but we'll see. Um, so the idea was like against man-to-man, you've got to learn to pick the ball up, time your leads, receive under pressure, um, as opposed to finding little scenes and gaps and, and looking to unpick it and play through. So my intention really was to, to change our habits around our movement and receiving of the ball back, back to ready to play at the weekend. So now I know within all the little all the guys within the group, they've all got their little individual nuances. Yeah, that they need to kind of work on and develop. So, um, but ultimately I wouldn't, so they have those against zones and then they have those against man-to-man. I'll just be focusing on the man-to-man ones as such. Um, I think one of the big, big problems people try and do is they put a game on and then they try and coach all of hockey in one session. And they try and fix all of the hockey's problems with that group of people. And, and actually you've got to learn to ignore some of the stuff that might need improving but might not be the focus of your intention yeah and i think you would clearly be making decisions around do i need to do i need to notice this and do i need to have a conversation or am i willing to let this this fly at the moment and and that's not to say you might not pick up a conversation at a a later stage because actually as you will definitely be finding out in club hockey Lots of your coaching is off the pitch. Most of it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Most of it. And even the players at Wales, like you, you set up a practice and if you start, start sort of, let's say, coaching on the run a bit and giving some corrective feedback and some stuff, they'll just be like, Danny, let it breathe a bit, mate. Um, you know, let, let us work it out first. They don't, like, they don't want what they'd rather have is, is a, a, in the break, a little conversation or a little, you know, from there. So... Yeah, picking your moments and, and what the what and when I think is probably a skill and, and one you don't always get right. Yeah, and, and often you don't know if you've got it right. No. <laughs> no. You know, like one of our players last night was, was you know, was getting frustrated with himself. You know, so actually you just you just learn that you've got to leave him alone when he's like that. And yeah. He'll pull himself through it. The worst thing you can go over and is, uh, is try and put an arm around him or have a chat because he's, he's bright enough to know that he's not not playing that well, so don't try and kid him. Yeah, um, yeah. And let's talk, so, I mean, you're, and I'm, I'm doing something tonight where I'll definitely be plagiarising some of your stuff. Your environment builder stuff, um, do you want to just kind of walk people through that and, and, and what it is and, and why, what's the purpose? Yeah, so the environment builder came from just a process I went through in terms of designing the practices. So the first bit was sort of, I basically wrote down a list of stuff that I change on a practice. Um, and, and we're just putting something together around called build a game at the minute. Um, and the analogy I give is sort of, it's like, it's like a pizza. You've got to choose your base. Um, and then you kind of add your toppings and, and you move some stuff around on, on the top. Um, and so your base would be like size and shape of the pitch, like long and thin, short and fat, funneled, round like what 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 you know and that's governed by what space you've got available but ultimately what do you want the pitch to look like and then it's like position of goals how many end zones boxes actual goals two goals two directional so what do i want my goals to be then number of players so allocation and then number so is it 3v3 evens is it under loads is it changing um now there's obviously a load of decisions you'll make around why so we would leave under pressure um, last night so the pitch was long and thin um, 
because we wanted them to have pressure from behind on receiver. We wanted the pass distance to be a bit longer. Um, and that's what we wanted to practice. Shortened that would have meant that the guys can just pass the ball to space on the outside and we wouldn't practice the thing that, that we want to practice. Yeah. So the size and shape of your, your boundaries and your pitch and the number of, then you look at the number of players on it. We went with 4v4. You know, if you go to 6v6, they get less goes, they get less chances to trap it. It's more congested. Um, it doesn't it doesn't quite work and it doesn't quite feel like what it's going to feel like on the weekend. So you've got to try and get the, num- the amount of numbers right. Yeah, and so I mean, yeah, I'm just thinking loud. So in, in rugby context, exactly that. The more numbers you have, the less touches you have, the less, less possibly the less decisions around the ball, but also might give you more time off ball. However, if you put them in a really congested area, then it's probably a bit more challenging for the attack. It's relatively easy for defenders. It's you know, and all of that would be you know, I mean, as you said, based around your intentions for the session. Exactly. So. So then we go to ball feed position and player start position would be the next thing I'd manipulate. Um, and then any additional time limits, rule changes, equipment changes, um, and bits and pieces. So now, No one's changing equipment in hockey. I've only seen hockey balls. <laughs> I've not seen balloons yet. Not seen balloons, no. Tennis, tennis balls occasionally because your first touch has got to be dead on. Yeah. Because uh, it, 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 that's a bit of a tester for you, but yeah. Um, yeah, there's not too much equipment changing. Yeah, you would want a really, really bouncy ball, wouldn't you? They give you real good feedback on the quality of your of your trapment. They really are. Yeah, just someone lobbing a tennis ball at you. Yeah, that's that's pretty tough to trap. Um, so yeah, that's the basics of the environment builder. Um, we then had like a we create a continuum of everything from in hockey. It would one end would be eleven v eleven, and at the other end would be on your own, basically. Yep. And then everything from 1v1 to 2v2 to 2v2 all the way up. And basically, asking coaches to decide whereabouts on that continuum that they want to position this and why. Um, and people go, oh, you've got to do lower numbers because you get more touches, you get more goes. Well, actually, if I wanted to get lots of goes at repositioning and goes at tactically moving, then actually higher-ups better because they get yeah. lots of goes at, at, at the the thing I want them to practice. So. Yeah, I mean, no aerials on the three by three pitches, then the little three by three mini pitch. Yeah. So it's always, it always comes back to your, your intention and the group you've got. Um, you know, with the international guys, we do a lot of high number stuff because it's tactical. It's, it's, we get them to short periods. And then, um, so actually, we use a lot of stuff that's 8v8, 11v11, um, as well as doing a lot of sort of 3v3 stuff. We don't do much stuff on their own, really. but in a club stuff, I'd see why you might do more of that. In a full-time um, setting, you'd, you'd definitely do more of that as well. So it's looking at bang for buck. How much time have I got? Where do I want to position these practices? What time? Have I got to win a game at the weekend? Have I got to win a game at the weekend? Or do we have four days of training before we're playing? So um, there's all those types of things that you've got. To- how, how would that work with the Welsh stuff? So you guys have obviously just been oh, relatively recently been away at the Europeans? Europeans, yeah. It's fifth, sixth, fifth, sixth, sixth. No one, no one has celebrated sixth harder. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so no. you would add variety of opposition, variety of time between games, um, variety of players because clearly you move your team around, different referees for each. I mean, all that type of stuff. What 
What what stuff did you? I mean, actually, I'm gonna I'm gonna flip it. What stuff did you learn about yourself as a coach out there? Because it looked like it was a pretty cool experience. You guys did, as you said, brilliantly. So, uh, what was your learning? What was the stuff that you you took from it? Um, we need to get better at game two in tournaments. That's something we we've always very much focused on game one, and then we've always dipped on game two. Um, that's something we we've really targeted after after this. That's not that's not just us, the coaches, but the group. Because you have a long lead in time to game one, you would feel like you're pretty prepped for that, and then yeah, you might not have yeah. I've heard that you've that, that you've split your team down the not quite down the middle, but there's a group of people that are already looking ahead at game two while game one's going on. Yeah. And they are so that, that's we've done quite well in game one and then dipped in game two. So that's something we need to we definitely need to look at as a, as a group. Um tournament we've learned lots over the we've had this group together, this unbelievable group of boys for four four and some of them six years now. So the cumulative learning and development in them is is great. So we're just adding at the minute. So um and I think we've got another three or four years with this group of guys as well. So we're just gonna just going to keep pushing. So it's how much to to add and how much just to keep going over the same things. And we all, exactly as we last time, they must think we're just parrots saying the same stuff over and over and again. But then the minute you don't, we don't keep emphasizing something, you drop off it and then you're like, yeah, we still need to, we need to still be handing that home. So it's how much do you hammer home the, the same messages again and again and again? And then how much do you um, add new stuff? Well, there's a board, there's a, the guys like learning new systems. They like learning new ways of playing. They don't want to just play the same way. There's definitely a, a novelty value to learning something new. So, um, but that's the key one for us. But. Nice. And what about you on pitch coaching? Anything you've, um, you've been playing around with, trying differently? Yeah, the one, how much to, to jump? In. I've always found I used to say a lot and now I don't say much and now I'm having the conversation or do I say enough um, so, so that's, that's the internal be. conversation internal conversation <laughs> um, not doing much here I definitely should be doing more <laughs> yeah. you say to our coaches when they're coaching the students are like you've got to be active you've got to be in there you've got to be on it and you're like and then sometimes just sometimes. diligently watching is actually being active um, um, so yeah, and the guys are so good that they know now, they know. So as long as we get the practice right, um, and then we can have the discussions in the break and the individual discussions between and coffee and all those types of things, the actual input on grass is actually not, not as not much, much anymore. No. Um, I've learned that into, into, to be coaching at that level, you've got to be a very good umpire. Um, so in order to, to make the games feel representative and make it game-like, You've got to umpire it properly, otherwise they just they get frustrated, they disengage. It's not real. <laughs> and the skill sets they practice around the contact area are also governed by the whistle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've got to be on it. Um, you've got to have it right. So that's just sort of in the practices. And it's like being a tennis coach. It, it helps to be a good tennis player because often they need someone to hit the ball back to them. Yeah, definitely the best. I've had a guy try and teach me squash once. And they, they're so good at putting the ball in an area where you, they, 
that skill of being able to do that is so important. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, he's good at giving you feedback. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that, that was good. Um, technical stuff, that's what we're sort of... Come on, let's talk about this, because I hear this loads, and, and you, you're in the mix, and you're working with some people who've been to the Olympics, and I'm definitely speaking to, to some people, technical, tactical. I, can I throw my two pence in now? I'm just going to go full bore. Tactical. Everyone says they're doing tactical, but they're not. Most people have been playing man-on-man -man for a decade. Um, and even you then, you said, we're playing against a team that plays this way and then this way. Why aren't they playing multiple ways? That's me throwing my hat in the ring. From a technical point of view, I hear a lot of people talking about they've got to be able to trap the ball. But they can all trap the ball standing still. I've watched them. Um, I don't think they... I don't think we move them through the levels enough of, of your practice design stuff. Uh, and I think that lots of coaches are stopping people do stuff that would help them in the future. So 3D aerials, they're dangerous, they're risky. Um, actually, some stage you're going to need them. And the way the game is going, so you look at the, the international game now, oh my God, it's crazy quick. Everyone's conditioned. So you're not going to tire someone out. Um, there's definitely some more tactical warfare starting to happen. But the reality is you need people that can beat people. So you need to be able to eliminate defenders. Now, either that's one-touch passing movement off the ball or you need some skillful players. And I'm, the one thing that I love at the moment I'm just in, that I'm seeing in hockey is loads of 1v2 practices. And I don't see those enough in other sports. One attacker, two defenders. And I see some kids that can consistently be two defenders. I'd, I'd, I'd argue two v three is better. I'll explain why in a minute, but yeah. yeah well, you would know. I'm just, I'm just saying what I've seen. Wow, there's a million questions in there. Um, yes, fully agree. Um, most international teams are conditioned to a level where it's, 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 it's not the point of difference. You know, there's always games to be made, but actually, we're a part-time group, if you like. Uh, we're competing with senior programs. The boys get up and do their running. Our, our SNC coach Al is put them in a really good place to do it remotely. Um, previously, we wouldn't have competed with teams physically, but now we can. Tactically, yeah, it's, it, it is a tactical warfare at the minute. Everyone's got footage on everyone else. Um, most people are playing zones at the minute. Um, yeah, I think moving forward, you're going to need to be able to play two three different zones in the game. You have to change the picture. Why, why the change to zones? What do you think caused it? Um, people have learned how to easily manipulate man-to-man. -man. Right, okay. It's really hard to get pressure on the ball and you spend too long with it. I mean, there are now nuances within man-to-man -man that start to make it look a bit more zony. So you're starting to share and help and jump. and um, there's ways of ways of doing it. Um, we actually find the switch in the game from one to the other normally gives you two or three turnovers because it's, it's yeah, yeah, but... just the change of like where people are and where they're coming from. So but the other problem with with the zone is when a team's got rhythm and have unpicked your zone, you're, it, it's horrible because they can just play through you. Um, it's hard to zone harder. If that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I've seen that happen where it looks like it sometimes looks like the defence isn't even defending. Like, you're nowhere near people. Um, nowhere near people, because they've, they've worked it out and they've, te they've technically executed. Um, to go. So the, the tactical stuff, fascinating, and I, one, one area of I love, we love in Wales, is 
tactically, we think we're, we're pretty good. Um, as we always room to improve, you need, you need more presses, you need more zone, you need to surprise people with things. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. They're doing this, and this, this is how we solve it. So, sweeper keeper, I've heard Wales will be playing the sweeper keeper. Yeah, yeah, all that sort of stuff. Um, and shaping, then, technical shaping, tell me about it. What's your thoughts? The, 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 the argument's right. So now you've got systems and you've got guys that understand it. We need to improve the quality of the actions of the players within the system. So, and actually, I was talking to our 21s guys around like, what, what do you need? You want to get into the international first team. What, what do you need to do? And actually, it's like, you need to in, impact the game. And they're like, well, yes, you've got to be fit and you've got to be tactically on it. You've got to be technically consistent and track and pass the ball. We call it handle the ball, but throw and catch in your world. Yeah. You've got to do stuff that's going to impact the game, either either side of the ball. So that could be the ability to pass long and through lines um, on the floor or overhead um, or with disguise. So you can get the ball from one area of the pitch to, to your players in another area of the pitch. Um, that's definitely one. And the aerial pass is, is definitely something that's transformed the games in the, in the last four or five years. It's no longer a throw's dead, get rid of it. It's a we're genuinely set up because we're going to play a pass into here overhead over 50 meters. We're going to trap it and we're going to play another pass over here, um, which is and then picking picking those aerials in the air on the move is also really really interesting. So that's that's it. And then we were playing Belgium and we set our press up to play against them, and their left fullback and Lauren hit a 70 meter cross field reverse dig pass 20 seconds into the game. And I, I, I turned around to the bench thinking it'd gone off the sideline. No, Brioles just stood on the sideline. He, he genuinely meant it. Um, you know, so like the quality of the guy, the Belgium guy's actions, he can do that. Not he can do that nine times out of ten. He can just hit the. 80 yeah, and I wonder how many people have been encouraged to do that. And the reality for you then is you you, you don't train against that. So to coin one of your book co-book authors, Keith Davids, you are currently about to go and inhabit a world you you know play in a world that you don't inhabit. My guy's like, yeah, I've got him. I've shown him on his reverse. Shing. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's quite good. Um, so, yeah, that, that's definitely it. And then you, you alluded to it, the ability to sort of eliminate 1v1. Yeah, 2v3. Tell me about 2v3 as well. Three, um, so, yeah, obviously lots of 1v1 stuff, 1v2, 2v3. The reason 2v3 over 1, if you've got a 1v2, the guys know you can't pass. Yeah, okay, cool. Nice. Um, and a key a key part of elimination is showing passes and and, and actually it's it's, it's so I was uh, I was um, I was I was removing not reward uh, kind of but I was just taking away an option that yeah you know, around their decision making because I was constraining their decision making and making it easier for the D and that's a trailer that's not yeah all about the intention of that am I am going to proudly go around and say yeah two v three slightly better than that one v two um, but then the other, the other problem you've got with 2v3 is if players don't are, are confident in their elimination skills and they're good at passing they will always migrate to the pass option yeah it doesn't the constraints not or the rule or what the design isn't forcing them to do the thing you want them to do um, so there's, there's definitely something there around sometimes you'll, you might go 1v2 because they have to dribble yeah, yeah, yeah and therefore that's worth the trade-off um, so that's all part of the fun of of practice design, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No. The, the 
the one thing that we find interesting, and this is the, they call it skill intentionality, but ultimately, um, if the environment encourages a certain path, say a long aerial or a reverse stick thing, but I'm not confident and, and <coughs> haven't got that in my toolbox or locker, if you like, I never choose it in a game. <coughs> yep. Because the tariff is too high risk. So I can't hit a flat backhand past 80 meters on the money, so I don't choose to hit one. And because I don't choose to hit one, I don't get any better at it. So True. We've got, we can then go, oh, well, you know, we're just going to play games and, and skills will emerge. And, um, you know, they'll, they'll, but we need to take them out of the game sometimes. And yeah, if you want to hit flat backhand passes, you need to take a bag of balls down the extra turf and, and go and hit a load of flat backhand passes. Um, on the move, make it more variable, um, make the target variable. You know, all those types of things that you can do to make it a little bit more game realistic. Design games that are just flat backhand passing. So we've got a game called the hitting game. Um, two teams, territory game, hit the ball over the sideline, win a point. If they hit the ball over your sideline, they win a point, got to hit it flat. You know, so it's a game, but it's not the game. And it requires them to flat backhand pass. Yeah. You know, so I think people have taken this, the game is the teacher skills will emerge thing way too literally um and the question i always ask is if it's not in the toolbox will they ever choose it no so will they ever, ever get any better at it no how do we add stuff to the toolbox so that when the opportunity in the game arrives where they might use it they do like like you said at what point do we discourage it within gameplay because it's potentially a risky decision. Yeah, I mean, you might discourage it because you need to win a game at the weekend. I, I get that you would reduce risk by constraining decision making. It's um, and the rugby equivalent's kicking. So lots of people haven't kicked for a decade. We can't just suddenly expect them to go and kick. So we either scaffold them so we might give them more time when they have the ball, or we might give them an option of a zone to kick into so they had some success, or we might allow them ideally for me to take themselves out and be aware and practice it in a what might be really blocked way to stay start with and then become more variable um yeah and 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 that's actually the i think the our biggest challenge in most sports is that how did they get to 18 and they'd never kicked a ball so that's the you know when you speak to people you actually go there's your there's your biggest bang for your buck the, the, the other answer is you've got an hour with the kids on a pitch once a week. You know, there's, there's just not enough time to do everything. need. So, yeah, you've got to create a need where they feel like they want to come early or they want to stay after. Um, They're going to practice it in the living room. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I, I remember our garden. Dad used to go nuts because the shed was battered from hockey boots. Um, you know, so you know, the, the best players do the extra technical practice, they do the extra, you know, the, the stories about Bradman and a cricket stump and a golf ball and the water tank. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're true. Um, the argument is don't spend, you know, large chunks of your time when you've got the group together doing those things because that time's precious and actually you want to be spending that time learning to co-adapt and learning to, to make decisions and learning to interact in a more game-based environment. We've got to a provide the need, opportunity and create the need where they 
it's all right in a full-time program because you can go right guys uh yeah, once twice a week here's here's a half an hour block where you've got the space to work on the technical bits you need to you need to get better at yeah i think it's i think you're right and i do think that the game is is the teacher is a very unhelpful phrase because it you could definitely get some feedback from the game however the coach is definitely there to help support you and you know, so Mike Beale, and I use this a lot, but Mike Beale at Rangers, 18 years of old, Rusty, my left foot was 18 and my right foot was three. He played lots of games. Um, what he didn't have probably is a coach that actually give him a bit of, you know, probably a bit of challenge, a bit of... So I think, you know, if you were hockey, if you put, uh, if you put cream eggs on the crossbar and told them, you know, at the start of the session, everyone gets four shots and if you knock the cream egg, if you get it, they might go and practice their aerials at home. Yeah, and having those like skills challenges are, are, are really important. Um, we we just there's a guy who's just finished his study um, at our place, and he was doing non-dominant foot kicking um, in football, and they did like a a more close. They did like fourteen weeks, seven sessions. Uh, sorry, seven weeks, fourteen sessions, and they did like a, a more closed practice that was sort of fast and follow type stuff, and then they did a conditioned game. That was sort of conditioned to to get them to pass with their non-dominant foot, you know. And <laughs> no change, no change in the number of times they used it in the game and the quality of their action, and then no change in the biomechanics of um of, of the kicking. Wow! And it just shows you, like, well, there's two, there's two or three things going on there. What seven weeks worth versus fifteen years of kicking? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. And I always think we assume we're having this big impact on them. I'm not sure we are. Um, and then the other one is, in a game, they'll always. The reason they might kick with their non-dominant foot is because their first touch didn't put it in a place where their dominant foot put it, could kick it. So actually, there's no need for them to kick it with their with their non-dominant foot if their first touch is good. It's still not as good as their other one. So why would they do it? Yeah. Um, it's so it's, it's just. That, that kind of space is quite fascinating. I did meet a guy uh, who told me about his dad, who was a professional footballer, and he said uh, he, he, he was right-footed, but then, and this was at a young age, he was, you know, he was basically told to, needed to practice on his non-dominant, and, and he became left-footed. So I think it's quite a good thought experiment that if every single right-footed player in your programme had to be left-footed in 12 months' time, you know, what would you do differently? Now, you clearly couldn't do that well, you could, but you might not win as many games if you were in a, you know, in a in a program where you're playing matches that you have to win. But you lower down, I think it's the and early on, yeah, yeah, early on, like these were guys that were university students, so they're like it's almost too late for these guys now. Like this would assume, or the process of it is going to take a lot longer. Have you seen that um, backwards bike video? Yeah, you know where. It takes the adult, I don't know how long it takes him, eight months to, to learn, to relearn how to ride a bike with his left, his right, and right, his left. You know, whereas it takes his kid three weeks or four weeks. Or yeah, and I watch it and I think, I could probably do it straight away, but I know I couldn't. <laughs> I'd always back myself. Uh, what have you learned from other sports? What have you picked up recently? Oh, not enough. Um, tactical stuff from football. Yeah. Breaking zones. Um, and then lots of like zonal practices and, and games they, they play. Um, so stolen a load of those. Um, 
so that, that's good because they're years ahead of us in, in terms of zonal stuff. Yeah, true story. Which is quite cool. Um, that's the main thing for me. Nice. And any coaches you've watched, any people you've hung out with, or people you've you would recommend people get in touch with, or follow, or observe. Jason Lee, you can track him down. He's amazing. He's brilliant with the way he thinks about things. I'm going to come and hang with you at Reading one night. He's cool. He's a cool guy. You can track him down. Um, it's a busy man, um, but yeah, the way he thinks about the game, and then yes, we can do that, but who have we got, and how do we, that's not what they do. So that's just, we fit the system and the players, um, the opposition, rather than going, this is the system, and trying to get a group of players to play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what about reading? What type of, yeah, obviously you've got your own book out. <coughs> uh, author, published author. Um, what's your book called again? Um, it's called The Constraints That Approach, Principles for Practice Design and Coaching. Nice. Um, but it's basically, the first three chapters were written by the man, uh, Professor Keith Davids, who's sort of the godfather of the, the theory that underpins it. Um, obviously, we've, we've all then jumped in and provided loads of practical examples. The middle two chapters were kind of put together by Ian and myself, and it's the bridge between the theory and the practice and the, the principles and the tools. And then the last three chapters were... Um, written by Ian, myself and Will, and they're sort of the practical application chapters. Nice. If you, it basically tries to take you through the process of designing environments and, and all the things you need to consider along that way. Nice. Cool. Any other stuff you'd recommend for people? That's a good question. You just read your own book every night, aren't you? <laughs> yeah. It's rather good. It's rather good. Um, what am I into that's stretching me at the minute? Um, I, the usual, it's so easy, isn't it? Just go and watch more people. I, I, yeah. And I've got conversations to stimulate it. Um, it's, we get so stuck in our own bubbles when we're coaching because we're so busy that you kind of forget. And there's some really good people that do it. Like Brett Holland's fab at it. He's always... Yeah, that's killing it. Like flying around and doing stuff. And you go, yeah, that's like, that's the stretch that, that you need. And I've, no, I've never met anyone that says, no, you can't come and watch my session. No, you can't come and have a chat like it's just it doesn't, doesn't happen yeah um so actually being proactive because you blink and it's christmas and then you blink and it's the end of the season so yeah yeah my call advice i'm going to do the one worders because i want to go and see my daughter after school even though i love chatting to you uh hockey badger <laughs> wales um legends oxford brooks um, geeks. Geeks, nice. Jason Lee. Um, guru. Reading. Battlers. Battlers. Coaching. Messy. Mentoring. Tricky. <clears throat> Last one, most important one. Rollerball. <laughs> <laughs> Olympics. I should have gone Olympics. Olympics. The Olympics. <laughs> Mate, I really appreciate your time. It's been awesome. I've learned loads. I've written lots of stuff down as well that I'm gonna I'm gonna use, which is cool. Uh, where can people find you? Uh, at Benny Newcomb, best place. Twitter. Yep, on Twitter, and then uh, or D Newcomb at Brooks.ac.uk. Um, yes. DC uh, at uh, Rollerball.org.olympics. Um, 
2028. <laughs> mate, it's been a pleasure. Look forward to catching you soon, and we'll, uh, mate, have a good one.